The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your grace, how it abounds to people who don't deserve it, how it abounds to people like us, how you cherish us and delight in us, and you give us purpose in life. You give us callings. You give us mission. You've not called us to a life of of staleness and apathy, but a a calling to, to great mission, Lord. And as we look through the book of Acts, it is so clear that this mission is so much bigger than us, so much more grand than us, Lord. And yet you have included us amongst it, that we might be used by you and changed by you and transformed by you to make all things new, to be a part of your redemption of the entire world. And so God, pray that you would continue to press that deep in our hearts for your glory and for our joy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever played that game, Tribond. They have it in fancy restaurants like Pizza Hut. Um, But when you play Tribond, what they do is basically there's this card and there's three words on it, and you have to figure out how these three words are related. And so there will be a card and it will say dog and horse and cat. And how are those related? They're animals, right? A little harder one, it will say picnic, card, and pool. What? Not a party. Tables, right? Picnic table, card table, pool table. One last hard one. Candy, crab, caramel, apples. Good job. Someone got that really quick. Way to go. Today's passage is kind of a tribond and that it's three different stories that are kind of loosely connected because they're part of Paul's second missionary journey. But they're three distinct stories, like when Paul is in Corinth ministering, as we'll read, and then as he is ministering in Ephesus, and then as he is continuing his journey back to his starting place, where the church sent him out. These are three different stories. And as a preacher, you look at this passage and you look at it and you say, okay, what is the common theme that is going through all of these that we can share and encourage and exhort the congregation? Listening to sermons this week, especially by Kevin DeYoung, one of the things that you see through these three stories, through this tribe on this, this hodgepodge of events, is what it looks like to be a faithful minister of the gospel. This theme of faithfulness is one that should be dominant in our life. It's one that we cannot underemphasize. As I mentioned, we did this associate pastor search and we had 22 candidates. And one of the questions on there was, how would you define ministry success? And thankfully, the common response was faithfulness to God. In our denomination, we have a very short motto, but the motto ends by saying this, and being faithful to the Great Commission. And so what does it look like for you and I to be faithful to the Great Commission that God has given to his church? You know, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, he gives this this charge, this commission to his disciples, to his 
followers. And it's also the outline of the book of Acts. We said it many times. It's Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus at this time is not just talking to vocational ministries. He's talking to all of his disciples that are gathered around him saying, this is the mission that I am sending you on. And he's calling us to be faithful, to pursue, to live out that great commission. And so the question we have today, what does it look like, look like for you or for me or for us to be faithful to the great commission? If you would please open up to Acts chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 22 today. If you have a Bible in front of you, it's page 927. If you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible. We love to give Bibles away. Now, since this is kind of a hodgepodge of situations, it's, it's a little bit confusing when we walk through. I had to read through it several times myself. And so I'll do my best to kind of walk slowly through it and give clarity as we go. And so um, we have a bunch of maps up here, which will be great with my fascination with laser pointers. I'll get to exercise that, which, which is exciting for me. Um, but, but I want to take you through this slowly. So before we start, let's kind of catch up with where we are. And so if you could put the map up, Cassie. There we go. So, uh, so, so Paul starts right here in Antioch on a second missionary journey. He goes through Cilicia. He comes to Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. And Lystra and Iconium, Paul picks up Timothy, uh, and he already has Silas with him from Antioch. They continue through Asia. They come to Tros, where they pick up Luke. They go across into modern-day Greece to Philippi. And while they're in Philippi, they're ministering. A church is planted. And because the Great Commission isn't just go and make, make uh, converts of all the nations, but go and make disciples of all the nations, Luke stays in Philippi to continue to minister to the church. They continue going forward, and they go to Thessalonica, and they share the good news of Christ. Great things are happening. They are pressed out of there, and so they continue on to Berea. In Berea, they see a lot of fruit from sharing the gospel, and there's a church established there. But the Thessalonians hear about what's going on, and they come to persecute the Christians. And so Paul takes off, and Paul goes all the way from Berea down to Athens, but he leaves behind Silas and Timothy that they can stay there. And again, not just make converts of all nations, but make disciples of all nations. And so they stay there to continue to teach and educate the church. Last week we saw when Paul was in Athens, how he challenged all of the idols and showed how this unknown God that the, that the Greeks worshiped was known to him and he was creator of heaven and earth. And so Paul has this ministry there in Athens, but then the Lord calls him to continue on and he goes from Athens to Corinth. And that's where we're going to pick up today's story. And so there Paul is, he's in Corinth. And Corinth, just so you know, is kind of the Las Vegas of Greece. Whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. There is, there's a lot of temple prostitution, a lot of wickedness going on there, but that's the culture that God has called Paul into. And so he goes there by himself, awaiting for Silas and Timothy to come. And as we look Look at Paul in Corinth today and in Ephesus and even in his travels back home, we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to be faithful to the Great Commission? And the first thing that we see is that we are called to be faithful even in the midst of waiting. Look at verse 1 with me, chapter 18. It says, after this, after Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And so, okay, back to the map. What we see is that um, that Aquila is from Pontus over here. Priscilla, we're not sure where she's from, but they were living in Rome, which is over here. And we know that in 49 AD, there was an edict in Rome kicking all of the Jews out of Italy. And so they left Italy and they came to Corinth. The reason they probably came to Corinth is because there was a very sizable Jewish population. And so they were believing this is a place that they could settle down and be safe and live life. And so there they are. They're in Corinth. And Paul hears about them and he goes to visit them. Verse 3, it says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so what seems to be happening here is that Paul, the missionary, has run out of money. You see, Paul was most likely supported financially by his sending church as well as the churches along the way. Paul goes to Athens and then he comes to Corinth and it seems as if Paul does not have money. You know, apostles still need to eat. Apostles still need clothes on their back. And so Paul is forced to work and to labor. And he has a history of being a tent maker. And so he finds these devout Jews, Aquila and Priscilla, and he joins them for a temp job that is full-time to earn a living to pay for the food that he eats. But what is so important here, what is so priceless here, is to see that in the midst of waiting, Paul does not put the Great Commission on hold. But he continues to be faithful to it. You know, he's, there's a time that is coming in which Paul will actually stop making tents and go back to full-time sharing the good news of Christ. We see this as we look into verse 5. As we look into verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This is further explained later when Paul writes back to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches. What an interesting phrase. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, which would be Silas and Timothy, supplied my needs. So I refrained. I know this may seem strange, but in a day when there was no TV or radio, public speakers were kind of like rock stars, okay? That would be fun for me. But public speakers were like rock stars. And so whether it was philosophy or religion or whatever it might be, these people were the entertainment of the day. And so folks would come and they would give money to these public speakers. And Paul wanted to make sure that he did not mix profit with the proclamation of the gospel. He wanted them to know that this was coming to them free of charge. And so he did not charge anybody for his public speaking, but rather he worked to earn a living so that he could go and continue to be faithful to the gospel and faithful to the Great Commission. Paul, in his waiting, in his waiting for Timothy, and is waiting for Silas to come and bring financial support, picks up this full-time temp job as a tent maker. But he does not cease to be faithful to the Great Commission. Look again at verse 3 and 4. It says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And then he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews 
and Greeks. And so there Paul is. He's waiting. He's waiting for Silas. He's waiting for Timothy. He's waiting for financial backup. But he does not wait to be faithful to the Great Commission. He shares Christ with Aquila and Priscilla, who become leaders in the church. He shares Christ in the synagogues. He shares it with both Jews and Greeks. Paul is seeking to be faithful to the Great Commission, even in the midst of his waiting. I've shared this story before, much to my shame. When I was in seminary in St. Louis, I got a job at a golf course. And there was this particularly rainy day, and there was just me and the guy who kind of ran the golf course. We were in, this, in the clubhouse together, and there was really no traffic, so we were just hanging out. And I remember him sitting there on his office floor, looking out his door, looking at me, and he says, does your faith provide you any peace? And I said, yes. And then I walked away. Now you may say, why did I walk away? Well, it was because I was in the impression that I was in a hovering pattern. That I was waiting to go and do real ministry after seminary. And so in this waiting period, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do ministry. I was just going to prepare to go do ministry in the future. Right? It's, it's a horrible view of seminary, but that's where my head was at. You know, I think so many of us are in a time of waiting in which we are waiting for the next stage of life. The Whitleys are waiting for God to call them to the next place where they will be serving in vocational ministry. The Bowdoins are waiting to plant a church on the east side. You may be here waiting to graduate high school, waiting to graduate college, waiting to move to a new house, maybe waiting to move to a new city. And you're thinking, in this waiting, I'm just waiting to be faithful to the Great Commission until I get to that next place. You know, it is so enticing for me to think I will be faithful to the Great Commission when my calendar clears up. I'll be faithful to the Great Commission when I get everything settled down and life is not such a hodgepodge of craziness. But God calls us to be faithful to the Great Commission even when we are waiting for that next stage in life. We're supposed to be faithful, called to be faithful to the Great Commission even in waiting We're also called to be faithful to the Great Commission in staying. Look at verse 5 again. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Let me paraphrase what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I have come to the Jews. I have come to tell them about the Christ they have been waiting for, that that Christ has come in Jesus. But you have not only rejected the message, you have rejected God himself. And I am no longer going to take the pearls of the gospel and throw them to swine who will not appreciate them. I'm going to go on to the Gentiles, to other people who might receive the good news of Christ and trust in him. And Paul has this interesting saying here. He says, he says, I am innocent. He says, I am innocent of your blood. I am innocent of your damnation because I have been faithful to the Great Commission. I've been faithful to share Christ with you as God has called me to do. 
Certainly this is a heavy responsibility, a convicting saying. As I looked at this, I thought to myself, could I say the same thing? Could I say the same thing? Am I innocent of the blood of my neighbors? Am I innocent of the blood of my friends? Am I innocent of the blood of my teammates? Have I, have I gone, have I been faithful to share the good news of Christ? Have I been faithful to the Great Commission? It continues, verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Tidius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So, so Paul storms off from the synagogue and goes right next door. Verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with the entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so here you have the Jews who are infuriated by Paul's teaching. And not only are they infuriated by that, but now their leaders are trusting in Christ and being baptized and many other Corinthians. And so you can imagine how upset they are and how furious they are. Now, as we have gone through the book of Acts, if you have noticed this, Paul, again, he starts in every city. He goes city, city, city. And as he goes to the cities, he goes into the synagogue to say, hey, the Christ you're waiting for, he's here. He's Jesus. And then he goes and he preaches to the rest of the people. And then what happens is persecution breaks out against Paul. And they, they threaten him and they hurt him, both, uh, both vocally, um, socially, but also physically. Sometimes they actually leave him for dead. And so when this happens, when the persecution escalates, Paul moves on to the next city, right? Because Paul knows to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I live in the body, it will be fruitful labor for me. So he knows that if he can keep breathing, he can keep telling people about Jesus. And so when the persecution rises, before he is about to be killed, he'll go on to the next city. And so it seems like Corinth has come to this place where there is a severe persecution against Paul, where they are very angry, and it's time for Paul to move on to the next place. But then God intervenes. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And then he gives this promise to Paul that is not forever, and he doesn't give it to every Christian, but he gives it for his time in Corinth. He says, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Through this vision, God was calling Paul to stay, to stay in a place that he probably would have fled from, a place that he probably would not have preferred to be. He called him to stay in Corinth because there were many people there that belonged to the Lord, many people who did not know this yet, but that were appointed to trust in Christ for their salvation. And so in order for Paul to be faithful to the Great Commission, God was calling Paul to stay in Corinth, a place that he probably did not want to stay. What about you? What about me? Are there places that you are that you just cannot wait to get out of? Maybe, maybe it's your job. Maybe you have a dead-end job. And you're like, I do not want to be here anymore. Maybe you live in an apartment. And you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait to get a house. Have you ever considered 
that maybe God, through circumstance and through providence, has forced you to stay in that situation because there are people there who belong to God and do not know it yet. Because there are people there who will trust in Christ if you are simply faithful to the Great Commission. God, through providence, through circumstance, puts us wherever we are. No place is a mistake. And although we may want to flee, he's calling us to be faithful while we stay there. Verse 12 continues. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, that's kind of the region, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, the tribunal would have been the judicial system for the Greeks, and so they were there, and the Jews brought Paul in front of them, trying to get something done about this whole Christianity thing and what Paul was doing, and their objection was that Paul was teaching contrary to the law. Now, the law could have been two different things. The law could refer to the the Jewish law, the Old Testament law. They could be saying he's teaching contrary to that, or he could be saying he's teaching contrary to Roman law. You see, there was, a, there was only accepted religions that were allowed to be taught in the empire. And so maybe one, maybe other, might be both. But it continues, verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, and so Paul doesn't even speak, all right? Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Now, this, we may not understand the significance of this judgment, but the early Christians certainly would have. This judgment meant that Christianity was free to be taught throughout the Roman Empire. Because the tribunal declared that it was, it, was, it was the extension, rightfully so, they understood. It's the extension of Judaism. It's the completion of Judaism. And so they said, it is okay, it is good, it is fine, it is legal for Christianity to continue to be taught. Verse 17. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. So we're reading this passage in community group last week, and it's my turn to read, and I'm reading this, and we get to verse 17, and I read this, and I, I, I just start laughing. Um, this certainly is not funny for Sosthenes, but what they do just seems so absolutely ridiculous. The tribunal says, we're not going to hear about this. Go on your way. And so they go, and they grab Sosthenes, and they bring him before uh, Galileo, and they start punching him and kicking him and saying, okay, now what are you going to do? It just seems, it seems crazy. Like, why in the world would they do this? Well, I think as we look even at Christ and what happens to him, we can understand that these political figures often caved to pressure. If you remember, they brought Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate tried him and found Jesus to be completely innocent. And then we read in Luke 23, it says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And then a third time, so three times, Pilate's saying, I want to let this guy go. Like he's not guilty of anything. 
A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, just like in Corinth. They were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Back in Corinth, the Jews were adamant. They were trying to pressure Galileo to do something about Paul and this Christianity. But he did nothing. Not because he was an honest man or because their pleas were too weak. But nothing happened to Paul because God had made a promise. And God's promise can never be defeated. It's so fascinating how, how Luke notes in this passage in Corinthians, in Acts, how before Paul could even open his mouth, before he could even testify, before he could even say anything, God had already convinced Galileo to let him go. Verse 18 continues and says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer. Paul stayed in Corinth, not necessarily because he thought it was fertile ground, but because he was called by God. God calls us many times to stay, and in our staying, to be faithful to the Great Commission. He calls us to stay in messy relationships like work, like neighborhood, even like family. You know, every night, in theory, my family has a devotional that we do together. I say in theory because because there's many times where by God's providence it doesn't happen or because I'm just tired and cranky and I don't want to do it, okay? But ideally what happens is up in my kid's bedroom there is this big red couch and I'll sit down on the floor and I'll open up the Bible and I have a kid next to me on each side, a kid on my lap, a kid behind me and my wise hand will be on my back and she will think, oh blessed woman am I, you know, my faithful husband and my, my nice and polite children that are, that are reading the Bible and so happy about all this. But that never happens. Never once. Usually, usually what it is is I'm reading the Bible story and then it's, hey, stop playing with the Legos. Hey, quit hitting your sister. Hey, quit swinging from the ceiling fan. Whatever it is, right? And, and, then, and then there are times where I'll get through the first page and I'll say, all right, who are we talking about? Who's the story even about? Like, are you hearing any of this? And they'll say, Jesus, which is a good guess, <laughs> but wrong, right? And I'll say, no, it's about Oh, wait, who's it about? It's, oh, it's about Samson. You should know this, right? Now, I'm not even paying attention. And so when your kids are disrespectful, mom and dad, or maybe when they're distracted, or even when you're distracted, when you want to run away, God calls us to be faithful and to stay and to fulfill the great commission in the life of our children, to make them disciples of Jesus Christ. In the midst of a hodgepodge, chaotic, crazy life, to faithfully pray for your children, to faithfully read God's word to your children, to faithfully engage your children in the life of the church. Friends, the ministry of stain is often not very glamorous. And it's not easy but staying is a ministry faithful to the Great Commission. And so God calls us to be faithful to the Great Commission in waiting, 
in staying, but also in going. We're going to cover a lot of geography here, and so stick with me if you can. Verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. Syria is where Antioch is and where uh, Paul's sending churches. And it says, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre, he had his, he cut his hair for he was under a vow. And so if you look in this map, it's a zoomed in map up here. I think we got it. There we go. So this is an isthmus. Said that correctly. If you've been in Madison, you know what an isthmus is. But here is ancient Corinth where Paul was. And here's Kenshi, or I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but there it is. And it's six and a half miles from here to here. If you could go to the next map, Cassie. The reason why Paul walked there is because we're over here. This is where the zoomed in was. It's far quicker to walk six and a half miles and take off from here than to sail all the way around Achaia towards where they were headed. And so they walk there and they get ready to depart. And it mentions that Paul had his haircut because of a vow. Uh, we do not know much about this vow. We don't know um, if he was starting a vow or ending a vow. Maybe it was a vow that he would stay in Corinth for a certain amount of time. We're not sure. Um, but Paul was, was fulfilling a vow and had his hair cut. Verse 19 continues and says, And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And so looking at the map, as we see Paul finishing his missionary journey, Paul, let me turn it that way. There we go. Paul goes from Ephesus down to Caesarea, which is down here. And then it says Paul went up to the church. Whenever the Bible says that, that we go up to something or to go up to something, it's usually talking about going up the hill to Jerusalem. And so he went from Caesarea up to Jerusalem, and he visited with the brothers there. And then he went from Jerusalem down to Antioch. It uses the term down, even though it's north, because, because it's down from the hill of Jerusalem. And so Paul there completes his second missionary journey. Now, what I think is important to see here is that when Paul came to Ephesus, they asked him to stay, but he declined. He responded in a way that, that we should often respond, but probably don't. He said, I will return to you if God wills. And then we have the rest of the story of Acts. And what we see is that God does indeed will. On Paul's third missionary journey, most of his emphasis is on Ephesus. And so Paul does return to them. And as we dip into a little bit of next week's passage in verse 23, we read that after spending some time there, that is in Antioch, his sending church, Paul again departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul was faithful to the Great Commission and his going and his going and his going, although it must have been difficult. You know, I'm guessing there are some here today who do not struggle so much with the waiting or so much with the staying, but they struggle with the going for the sake of the Great Commission. You know, I wonder if there are some here today whom God is calling you to go overseas to be missionaries, and yet you are, you're pushing against it because you like to stay, because you like to wait, and you don't like to go. Maybe God is calling you simply to go to a family member or to go across the street 
but we are faithful to the Great Commission in going. And not only in going, but in our going. It's so interesting in Matthew 28, when the Great Commission is shared, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And this term, go, is actually a participle, which means you add an I-N-G on it. And so it says, going, in your going, wherever you're going, where God's calling you to go, in that going, make disciples of all nations. And so God may not be calling you to go overseas. He may not be calling you to go someplace you're not familiar with. Maybe God is simply calling you to go in the midst of your going, wherever you are going. This past Friday, as I had mentioned, uh, I broke the associate pastor candidate and uh, he dislodged his shoulder and we kind of went from doctor to doctor to doctor to try to try to get it fixed. And uh, we were supposed to have an interview with the elders at 3.30, but this, this, this carousel of care took so long that we had to move it to Saturday morning. And so there we are in the emergency room. Um, and they finally put his shoulder back in place. And, uh, and we're sitting there and we're just talking through life. You know, I'm continuing to ask him questions to get to know him. And we start talking about his son, Clay. Uh, his son, Clay, was called home to be with the Lord two years ago. And we're talking about Clay and a woman comes into the room and she says, it's hard to lose a child. And somehow it, it, it came out that, that she had lost two children. One in infancy, but one just a year prior, uh, who was an adult in an accident. And, and Jonathan asked her, he said, he said, how do you cope with that? Like, what do you do to cope with it? How do you cope with it? And her response was, not very good, which I think is completely understandable. But in, in that going, Jonathan had an opportunity to say, this is how I cope with it believing that Jesus will make all things new again, that he'll make all things better again, that he'll make all things good again. And they were able to invite her to grief share and to church. And, but this was just in our going. You know, we were, we were there and we were, we were reminding one another that this accident was no accident, that this was the sovereign work of God, that it was his providence. And we don't know why, we don't know what he was doing in it. But could it be that God made all of this happen, that in our going, we could tell this woman about Jesus? And we didn't have to go anywhere new. We didn't have to go overseas, just simply in our going to be faithful to the Great Commission. And so where does God have you going this week? Maybe he has you going on vacation or going to a family reunion or going to school or to the workplace Maybe God does not have you going overseas. Maybe he just simply has you going through everyday life. God calls us to be faithful to the Great Commission and the going of everyday life. Let me end with this. You know, as, as we talk through our calling to be faithful to the Great Commission, I look at Paul's example, and I don't know about you, but I feel like a failure. <laughs> I look at this and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm so far off. So often, my mission in life is my mission and not God's mission. I'm, I'm not consumed with God's mission for the world as much as I should be. And I know that. I, I fail in all of these areas frequently. In fact, uh, one time that stands out to me, when I was ordained, they give you kind of a, data, a title, like you're ordained as a pastor or as a chaplain. Because I was planting church, they ordained me as an evangelist. I'm like, oh man, that is scary because I stink at evangelism. 
don't know why they're calling me this. And so I fail this time and time again. And the question is, although we know this in our head and we know this in our hearts, what will change us and move us and motivate us to actually be faithful or more faithful or just a little more faithful to the Great Commission? Well, I would challenge you, it's by knowing the faithfulness of Christ, grasping how faithful Christ has been to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is exhorting Timothy to be a faithful pastor. But then he says this. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Friends, when we are faithless, we have a faithful Savior. Christ was faithful to come to earth and to wait. If you remember, he kept saying, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He was waiting for the appointed time of the Father to accomplish our salvation upon the cross. And so he's faithful to wait, but he's also faithful to stay. As you may know, when Christ was hanging on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels, couldn't he? He could have said, get me off this thing. Pulverize all my enemies. He could have done that, but what did he do? He stayed on the cross. And it was not the nails that held him there. It was his love for you and for me. Christ was faithful to stay. But Christ is also faithful to go. In that Matthew 28 passage where they're talking about Jesus giving the Great Commission. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I went to a church service one time, and they were preaching on this passage. And the, the, the speaker said, how can we fulfill this impossible mission? How can we fulfill this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations? How could we possibly do this? And I'm like, this is great. And I'm not kidding you. He said, we can do this through yoga and meditation and listening to classical music and calming ourselves down. This is how we can go and fulfill the great commission. The hard part is that's not what Jesus says. If you finish the Great Commission, the very last words, the last words in the book of Matthew are this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes, Jesus is faithful to wait for the Father's timing to die upon the cross. And Jesus is faithful to stay upon the cross so that God can accomplish salvation for our souls. But do you believe this? Do you believe what Jesus says is true? Do you believe that he is faithful to go with you to the very end of the age? This is our great hope to growing in our faithfulness to the Great Commission. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this great promise. Forgive me for, for forgetting it and for not believing it so frequently. For forgetting that, that as I go, you go with me. You actually go before me. And so, Lord, may that give me the confidence to grow in my faithfulness to the Great Commission, Lord. That others may know your glory. That they may know your delight. That they may know your love. Because, Lord, 
we know there are people around us that are your people who do not know it yet, who do not know that you have chosen to bring them into your kingdom, God. And so may we be faithful to go and share how they might know you through the cross, through your love, through your grace, through faith, Lord. God, as we turn to the table, may we be reminded of your faithfulness, God that you are faithful day in and day out, but you are faithful to accomplish the salvation that you promised to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. You're faithful to all of your people that you promised in the Old Testament, that you would come, that you would rescue them, that you would save them, that you bring them to yourself, and that you will be faithful in the end day to make all things new again. Remind us as we hold these elements that this is proof that you are faithful to all of your promises even when we are unfaithful to your commands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As Jesus was preparing, as he was waiting, approaching a time where he would stay upon the cross for us, he sits with his disciples and celebrates a Passover meal. And he takes bread and after blessing it, breaks it, gives it to him, says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you're here today, and you trust in Christ for your salvation, if Jesus is your Savior, if you look to him as your faithful high priest, this is for you, to nourish you in the great mission that God has called you to. But if you're here today and you do not know Christ, We are so thankful that you are here, but we would say, not yet. Wait until you can take this with a genuine heart, professing Christ as your Savior. We'll have several stations throughout the sanctuary. When you're ready, please go and take the elements and bring them back to your seat, and we'll partake together as one church.